You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 353. You're listening to The Lively Show. This podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. My goodness, has it been a while or has it been a while? I have no idea the last time I've recorded a show, to be honest. I don't remember the topic. I have not gone back to look at it. I'm just here in the now with you right in this very moment, sharing this Q&A episode with you and hope that everything is going as smoothly or as aligningly or as connected to your inner voice as possible at this time in your life, wherever you are as you're listening. So If you guys have been curious, I have not been on the podcast, but I have been doing things behind the scenes in working with people. It's been really fun to spend the season recently going through some personal changes in my personal life, which are still private between me and me. And then also going through and working with people directly through things like Playtime, which is a really fun program that we just released. And there'll be evergreen recordings. I actually think the recordings will be up live. So if you want to catch the recording evergreen style of Playtime, it was so fun to do the 30-day quote unquote challenge. It wasn't an actual challenge in the sense that we are challenging the mind to do stuff, but we just tried new patterns around time with the group. And it was so fun to see everybody that joined us and all of the great things that they realized they could or couldn't do around time that made it way more easy. And as I always like to say, time fitting like a glove to your life in a much more synchronistic and aligned way. So if you're feeling like you're afraid of having too little time or too much time, those are themes we focus on on both sides of the pendulum through playtime for different groups of people that fell into both camps. So there's that for you guys. We did that. And then also I've been working with Cocoon and the Coco Round 5. Now Coco Round 5 has also wrapped up, my goodness, Coco, you guys have heard the collective here on the show in many different episodes over the last year or so. And also we've been doing these rounds of collective, collective questions with small group. And round five, honestly, especially the last two to three sessions were so magical. We started to get less and less pre registered questions from the group and more and more live questions in the chat as we went through with the collective live. And that real-time magic was so nice. So if you're watching those recordings, you'll really notice there's kind of, in my perception, at least a shift in the consciousness and the connection and the community through the recordings of the Coco 5. And there's also all the previous Cocos and questions that have been asked. If you want to catch up on those two, you can go over to justlively.com slash playtime for playtime. And then also justlively.com slash C see for the collective collective. And you can see those recordings over there. We don't have around six yet scheduled with Annie Francoeur, who is our wonderful channel for the collective, but we'll see if that happens in a few months or so right now, Annie's enjoying some solo time going deep within herself. So as I've been doing all these things, the cocoon has been happening. So happy about that. Have our next call for that next Wednesday. And before that call next Wednesday, I want to do a community chat. Now this community chat is open to anybody. If you're listening to the show, if you're an Instagram follower, if you're an IVFT grad, if you're a cocoon member, if you've done everything I've ever offered, if you've done nothing I've ever offered in any way paid in any shape or form, it's all fine. If you want to join us, I am curious to have a little chat with the community and find out how Team Lively and the Lively Community Foundation can serve you guys better. I'm just curious to basically brainstorm, share, hear how you're doing, what's going on in your life, 
What is the community helping you with? How could we help you further? How are you liking the collaboratory drop-ins? Do you want more, less, different? Just see what new ideas we can basically come up with together as a group. This is something that I've been doing with IVFT graduates, doing IVFT rounds, and just in so many ways, I'm now just basically communicating real-time with people and getting their feedback. So if you want to join us, it's going to be Wednesday next week. It's going to be 8 p.m. Lisbon time, which would make it 3 p.m. Eastern time, 12 p.m. Pacific time. And we'll go for as long as we feel like going. So no promises in terms of how long it will actually run. It's going to be Wednesday, July 28th. So that will be the day. As I said, for the Europeans, or at least the Lisbon time zone type people will be 8 p.m. And then that will also be noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. If you can join us and share your feedback with us, it'd be wonderful to be able to chat with you and just get ideas, see what our next chapter can be together as a whole. So that's all that. So now that's kind of the housekeeping out of the way. Today's episode is a Q&A. I went through the Lively Community app. If you're not already familiar, we've got, I think, 2,200 or more people on the app right now. It's the Lively Community app. It's free in app stores if you want to download it and just meet more Lively Community members. Whenever we do programs now like IVFT or Playtime, we also do group chats in there, kind of like the way that we used to use Slack in the past. Now there's groups within the app. But also, if you've never, like I said, just listening to the show or just want to meet other people that are into inner voice and that kind of thing, you can go and join us and it's just totally free. So people in the app have suggested these questions. There's 24 of them. I'll see how many I can get through in about an hour and we'll just get started. I haven't read them yet, so it'll be fun to look at them for the first time and answer them directly. Okay, so starting with Amber Dolan-Bath, who said, when you have an emotional beanbag that's hard to release, what do you do? Okay, so if you guys have heard of me in the past, I talk about emotional beanbags. Eckhart Tolle calls emotional beanbags that I use the term for. He calls it the pain body. But as I actually started to release them in my own life, I found the word pain body very very confusing because when I read it, as he had described it, I thought the entire body would be in pain at one time, which at some stages kind of feels like that. But once you actually get more aware, you realize that these things feel like specific spots in your body can become heavy with the emotion that you're actually feeling. And when you become more aware, they feel more localized most of the time than they do your entire body all at once. And so with that, I the fir- very first one that I released in conscious awareness felt like a beanbag being removed from my belly button. And so that's where the term emotional beanbag came from. But of course, they don't always feel like beanbags. Most of them don't. They feel like different shapes and sizes, heaviness, weights, and all across the body. So when they're difficult to release, what do I do? I take a deep breath and go in as much as I can with what's there to be presented. If you're curious on how to do this, This is something that we have beanbag release sessions and the IVFT grads are all trained in doing this. So we have well over a hundred graduates that can work with you if you're curious. I don't teach it on the show because it would be like giving you guys a podcast on how to surf. Your mind would hear the podcast and go, yeah, I think I've got the concepts of surfing down. But once you're in the ocean with the board for the first time, you're going to realize there's a very big difference and gap between the mind's conceptual awareness of the thing to the actual living it out and actually getting on top of the board and standing on the board. So the facilitators are there to design and design. Actually, even we have drop-ins with the collaboratory that are often happening that are group beanbag release sessions, which would also still give you that space and time to be in the water with your surf instructor, getting on the board yourself with things. And they're holding that space for you to actually do it effectively and get up on that board and not just think about the concepts of how to get on a board without actually doing it. So if you're curious, that's where I would go 
to work with somebody and just do it at least just once. I know a lot of the IVFT grads continue to work with other grads over and over and over again. They're buddies that they make through the class and they just do beanbag release sessions with each other all the time because it's so useful and so helpful to have people hold space for you while you're doing them. But even if you don't even ever do that, I'd say just one session, whether it's a beanbag session with the group drop-ins or a private one-on-one session, you could go to jesslively.com slash find a facilitator. If you want to just work with a graduate and pick some that resonates with you or is in your language, that kind of thing. But it's just so powerful to do it with somebody that at least one time, and if not many times, like I said, the graduates love to do it over and over again with themselves. But for me, I do them personally, directly within myself at all times. I think I've already released a few of them today myself. And when they're hard to release, you just take it slow, you breathe deep and you take what you can get out. It's pretty much that simple. So there's not like a magical answer more than that, but it's not actually the answer that's going to help you know how to release beanbags in the first place. That, like I said, would be best to do it with somebody that can help you do it yourself the first time. Now we have Maggie who said, what are the key indicators of what will be a great Airbnb property? Okay. So I'm guessing that you're asking, I obviously have lived it for five years in, I don't even know how many Airbnbs over the years, but indicators of what would be a great property. I don't know if you're thinking about making an Airbnb property or just which ones to stay in, but things that I look for are great reviews, great photos. And especially in the reviews, something that's obviously as a podcast producer made me much more aware than I probably would if I wasn't a podcast producer and having a show is the audio. The sound of a place is something that you can't see for the photos and you can't really grasp in any other way, I find typically, except for the reviews. So I'll often go into the reviews for a place that looks really nice and see what they say about the location in the reviews and also whether it's quiet in the reviews. So reviews are where I go to find like the nitty gritty that you wouldn't be able to see from the photos alone. So those are the indicators. For me, a great property is something that has quietness so that I'm able to do a show and not be terribly distracted by audio quality construction outside and that kind of thing. So those are the things. And I just look for like what lights me up inside or align numbers happen in the price point and that kind of thing. Those are things that I look for. It's nothing too super magical, except for, I think just the one thing I would say that's a little bit different for me is the audio quality or the sound being quiet in the space. Next we have Kadoom. Yay. would love to hear what you've been up to. Well, thank you. I have been, like I said, sharing in terms of playtime and cocoon and the cocoa round five in the recent, like last few weeks and months. And then I've also been here in Portugal. I've been traveling with friends this weekend. I was taken by friends over to Alentejo, which is a countryside, Portugal, and went to the most magical little city, Monsarge. I'm forgetting exactly how to say it. I know Alexandra is probably like saying it as she listens to this episode, <laughs> saying it in the right Portuguese pronunciation. Monsarge. I can't remember the name, but I shared about it on Instagram. It was so gorgeous. Loved seeing it. Did some wine tasting with those friends and yeah, just really had a fun time. Also been to wine country up near the Duro Valley and the Vino Verde wine region of Portugal and also Porto and let's see what else. I was in Comporta recently. Before that, I was in and out of Mexico a few different times. Personally, there's been a lot of personal developments in my personal life, but since they're still new, 
I still want to keep them for me. So for now, I'm not going to share too much about that stuff. But other than that, I've done, like I said, a little bit of traveling and really just enjoying the summertime here in Portugal. I'd love, by the way, to go to London at some point soon. But right now, between Portugal and London, the quarantines and the Amber List and all those restrictions are making it kind of annoying to go over there for a short period of time. So I'm not sure that I'll actually do that anytime soon, or at least not until the restrictions are a little bit easier to go between. But yeah, those are things that are new. Now we have Olivia Holmes who says, what is your favorite aligning activity at the moment? So I've been doing a bit more of going back to cafes in the last, I would say one week. I've been doing more of the cafes, more of the going back to what I used to do in the past. There was many, many months, maybe even the better part of a year where I wasn't going to cafes and writing rampages of appreciation. But now that time has freed up a bit more, I've been doing that just as a fun little activity to do during the day. When I wake up, I often don't have too much on my schedule. Even here in Portugal, when I'm working because of the European time zone, I'm typically working in the evenings, like 10 PM to midnight, that kind of thing. So I typically, even if I am going to do some work later in the day, it's going to be super, super later. So I'll wake up and I'll just kind of flow between different things. I've been playing words with friends, which is something I used to do about 10 years ago. And it's been fun to pick that little hobby or activity up. I wouldn't say I do it for alignment. I mean, obviously it's something I enjoy, but I don't like do it that often. It's just kind of here and there throughout the day as the games are played. So that's been kind of fun, but it doesn't take up too, too much. It's just little moments at a time. And let's see, I still love walking when I do that. Yeah, still like my coffees, still like my brunches, kind of the same stuff as before. And traveling has always been fun. But yeah, nothing magically new, I would say. Um, Just what feels good right now. But like I said, I spent many, many months not even doing the rampages of appreciation, just writing down things I appreciate at a cafe. I spent many months not doing that, you know? So it's just really about what's phasing in and out of my life as time and space flow around it, basically. Now we have Kelly Ann who said, what do you do when you have doubt or something feels unsure about what's next? Like the juicy answers on the tip of your tongue, forcing it just doesn't seem right. But how do you keep patient's faith in the exact right timing happening at exactly the right time? Kelly, that is going to be a matter of you actually having the patience to see it through and see what happens and what unfolds as you do. So it's more not like, how do you have the patience? You're going to have to have the patience. There's no other choice than to have the patience and then see what happens. But over time, as you continue to choose patience and continue to trust, you're going to see the outcomes start to come in in different areas and different things in your life. And as they come in, they build upon each other. So as one thing feels impatient, but works out and another one does and another one does, you're going to start to build a repertoire for your mind to look back into the past of its own direct experience and see that it works out, see that it works out, see that it works out. So as you keep seeing that it works out, that helps build the now patience for the now thing that's in your mind. So the first few aren't the easiest to do, but you only got one shot, which is just to continue trucking on and seeing what happens with it, whether you can muster up much peace about it or not. You don't really have have any other choice other than or or other than to force the issue, force a premature decision and see how that flows also. 
that's also a way of seeing, does it actually unfold okay? Or did you actually realize if you had waited a bit longer, something could have gone differently or easier or better? It's sometimes hard to know what the alternative paths could have been. So really the patience for that divine timing that your inner voice will bring to you. I say the word divine timing. Don't get too like woo-woo about that. You're just going to feel it inside your body. It's just going to become clear. It's going to be known, not mentally thought. It's going to be known at the deepest place inside of yourself. When that is here and you take those actions, you're just going to build a repertoire, a whole list. You can start writing them down in a journal and just start tracking all the things that you waited on and what the outcomes were. And that's going to build that trust and understanding to do it better and better in the future. But the beginning, it's a little bit of a, just a blind walking in the dark kind of experience. It's always walking in the dark ultimately, because it's always unknown, whatever the next thing is. But as you get better at walking in the dark, you get better at walking in the dark without worrying so much. You know, it's almost like if I blindfolded you on the sidewalk and the first few steps you took, and I was holding your hand next to you as you're walking forward on the steps on the you know sidewalk, you at first would be super, super timid and super, super scared and super worried probably because you're just blindfolded. And as I'm holding your hand and helping guide you, there's going to be a lot of trepidation. But as you keep going and get more comfortable with my hand guiding you and what I'm saying to you, being really reassuring, telling you to go this way or avoid that, just like the inner voice, basically. I'm in this analogy, your inner voice. As you keep doing that, you're going to relax and trust me as I'm holding you and guiding you. And it'll become easier to keep taking those next steps. The same is true for your inner voice. So you're always walking in the unknown dark of what's going to happen in the, what we call the future, but it's just more comfortable as you have more time and connection to the inner voice to guide you. All right. Now we have Hannah Bryn who said, what's your inner voice favorite thing to do at the moment? My inner voice's favorite thing to do. I hear it. If I ask, it says, listen inside of you. (laughs) So that's its favorite thing to do, I guess, if I was to ask it. So there you go. Actually, why am I even thinking about the answer? There you go. It says, listen inside of me. That's what it is saying. It's its favorite thing to do at the moment. Now we have Isabella who said, hi, Jess, love your podcast. What advice do you give when your mind is blocking or resistant to hearing an answer from the inner voice or intuition? Okay. So if your mind is blocking or resistant to hearing the inner voice or intuition, the reason it's blocking is because of an emotional beanbag. There is a emotion or, you know, some form of fear, and it could be trepidation, depression, sadness, anger, who knows what the emotion is, but it could be some form of emotion. Often you could kind of categorize it as the term fear in your body. That is, I like to say it's kind of like a thing on top of a desk. So one of the inner voice sessions I did years ago said, basically, everybody has trust at the core of every aspect of their life. There's trust underneath. The inner voice trusts the unknown and doesn't worry about it. But whenever the mind is not in alignment to that trust and is worrying about something, it's just got stuff on top of that trust. So it doesn't mean the trust isn't actually present. The trust is always present, but it's underneath all of the emotional beanbags, the fears, the experiences that the mind has held on to from the past, whether it's this lifetime or if you believe in it, possibly other lifetimes. So as I look at this desk in the office that I'm recording this in, I see some cowbells that I bought and Alentejo as decor. I see some vases, some books, a lamp, and a piece of paper. Okay, so if we're looking at this desk as an analogy to the inner voice and what it was saying to me, what I saw clearly was trust is the desk. So underneath all of these objects, there is the desk. And the desk is that basis of trust and understanding. And that's like the inner voice. It's the foundation underneath 
the mind essentially. And that's that wisdom from all the lifetimes that's sitting there waiting to be accessed at any point. But the emotional beanbags are the cowbells, are the vases, are the books, the lamp, and the piece of paper. So if I had even more clutter on the desk, I could theoretically have enough stuff on the desk where I wouldn't even be able to see the desktop. And you could tell me if you're feeling that worried about something in your life, you could not even imagine ever feeling trust at all. As my current desk, as I look at it, I can see about half of the surface of the desk that's free that I can see to the the top of the desk. The other half has the cowbells and the books on it and stuff. So basically I have, if this is an area of my life, about half, like 50% clarity, 50% trust. And the other half is the emotional beanbags to work through. So I've got some clarity on this, whatever topic this is, but not entirely because there's still things that are sitting at the surface of the mind that are blocking me from seeing the entire surface of the desk. So if you're feeling resistant in your mind to something in your life or hearing what the inner voice has to say, it's because there's something blocking, like the books, the cowbells, the lamp, or the the vases. Those are those beanbags. Those are those emotional fears that are blocking that clarity. If you didn't have the beanbags, you'd have the clarity. And actually, when you're totally, totally, totally clear, when you're really clear and there's nothing on the desk and there's no fear, there's no emotions hiding anymore in the bushes on a topic, typically you still could theoretically hear from your inner voice, but most of the time you won't even bother asking a question from your mind to your inner voice on a topic that is completely 100% clear. Because as that clear desk, if you're actually coming from there without any mental blocks, you're not even going to be concerned to even ask the question. You're just going to flow, trusting in the now moment to bring you situations and circumstances to say yes to and situations and circumstances that you know to say no to without even having to bother to inquire because there's no misalignment between the mind and the inner voice on that topic. When the mind is clear of beanbags, there's no need to even communicate or ask the question on that topic. And I always, when I work with clients or IVFT grads, I always say like, think about an area of your life. Typically humans worry about either relationships of some kind, their health in some form or fashion, or whether they're exercising or their body, or they're going to worry about their abundance and career and meaning in that kind of area. There's typically, those are very, very common areas or global issues. The mind worries about those kinds of things too. So if you have a specific area of your life that functions super beautifully for you, maybe it's your body or maybe it's your money or maybe it's your partner relationship, those areas that you're typically the clearest on, you don't even bother asking inner voice any questions because you trust and you know how to act in that area naturally. You're just living as the inner voice in that area and the mind is not getting in the way. The mind only gets in the way when there are beanbags that it's trying to protect you from. It's not protecting you from the beanbags, it's trying to protect the emotional wounds the mind's holding on to from previous experiences. So as you release those and it doesn't have anything to defend or worry about or protect or project from, you're clear, you're easy, you're smooth. So when you're not hearing, that's a sign there's beanbags to release. And so Isabella, one thing you could do is either work with a facilitator, like I said, just even one session. I don't think you need to do this forever. If you pay attention to the process as they walk you through it in your real life with the first beanbags that are coming up in this area, it's really going to give you the tools that you need to do it forever more if your awareness is strong enough to continue to be able to do the process in other situations situations and not get caught up in the beanbag itself completely. 
So there you go. That is a very hopefully helpful answer and explanation on why you are having a hard time hearing the inner voice and certain things. Now we have Sarah asks, how's property buying going in Portugal? Great question, Sarah. It's not going at all, like 0%. This is so funny. Like two weeks ago, someone said to me something about August of 2021. And I had never even thought the word August or the, the fact that August 2020 exists, let alone any month past that point. I was so in, I don't know, the now that I wasn't even thinking of August or September. It just hadn't even occurred to me. So I can't even imagine thinking about a time that exists next week, I guess, as we're now coming closer to it. So buying a property in Portugal feels so, at this time in my awareness, so impossible to imagine because it would have to have me really understanding a greater timeline than like two weeks from now. And since I can't even imagine two weeks from now, I can't really imagine a property in Portugal that I would own for more than two weeks. (laughs) So basically I have not even lifted a finger to do anything since that big purple property that I mentioned, that big, beautiful building that had a property I could have flipped in January, right before I went to Hawaii and Mexico. That was the last time I really considered properties. My intuition would not budge. It did not tell me to do that. Instead, it took me to Hawaii, Belize, Mexico, and all the other places and adventures. So yeah, I have not even considered a property here. I do have my rent for my flat for a while, so I'm not worried. I've got a place to stay, but not even there so far from my mind. It doesn't mean something couldn't fall in my lap, but it's definitely not on my awareness right now. Now we have Gretchen who said, any comments or insight on carrying the peace, connection, self-worth found in solitude into the world of relationships or more generally bridging the gap between living a lovely life in the physical world and feeling a close connection to the world beyond? Okay, so I think there's kind of two questions there. One I'll go with first. Any comments or insights of connection and self-worth found in solitude in the world of relationships? That is so interesting. It's definitely been something that I've been looking at in more recent months and for myself, at least in my own life. And I find that it has been so much easier to be within myself in solitude than around the world of relationships. Now that said, I've become unconditionally aligned around friendships, around family, around coworkers, team, clients, like nobody's situations will get me off my rocker, so to speak. Everybody can have their reactions, their experiences, their opinions, and their beliefs. And that's all good with me. And that doesn't wreck my unconditional alignment within myself. Like I'm not leaning for my emotional well-being on anybody in any of those areas. But a partner, or I guess if I had children, obviously I'd have to look at those types of relationships differently. So as partner has kind of become a part of my life. That is something that I've noticed that my mind allowed to be within its state of well-being rather than outside its state of well-being. Now, that is so edgy for my mind to realize that that is dysfunctional. Like even that type of relationship, I think my mind used to make as an exception, like, okay, I can have all this like unconditional alignment around everybody else, but that one was special. And some reason my mind thought that's the one I need to let in, in order to be quote unquote close. But as I've watched it, I'm like, nope, that's just as dysfunctional as letting your parents be that close and your emotional well-being or anyone in your emotional well-being. So 
I am humbly having to realize even that too has to go to, it's still an external relationship. You know what I mean? Like it's still a person outside of myself and putting anybody, any other entity, any other sovereign beings, well-being or reaction to you inside of your stability inside yourself is still going to topple the boat over. And as Abraham would say all the time in their relationship videos about going unconditional, they're like, nobody can hold you in your, their awareness perfectly all the time. So it's being unconditional with every person, every single relationship. That doesn't mean that when you take them outside yourself, they don't have a deep, lovely connection with you. It's just not a codependent one. It's just a nice one that functions smoothly. And when they have a bad day, you don't take it personally. And when they have different opinions, you're not taking them on for yourself and having to change yourself for all those types of things. And I've known and seen this, like I said, for my families, my friends, my team, my coworker, I've been so good at this and it is so honestly satisfying, but it has been humbling to realize, yeah, you can't even, I can't hold a little exception because it's just as dysfunctional as holding any other type of relationship inside of your emotional stability. That doesn't mean you stop loving the other person. It just means the mind's not attached to the other person and their reflection of their well-being onto you as your state of well-being in yourself. So finding that unconditional alignment within, instead of using the other person's reflection to be your stability, that has been humbly <laughs> shown to me as something I need to also keep external to my inner peace if that makes sense. I can't try to bring in another person, no matter how much I love them. I cannot bring their well-being and their feeling of me and how I feel about them as my inner state of peace. My inner state of peace still also has to be unique and unto myself. And from there I can pour forth, but it cannot be, it's kind of like giving your power away and energy stealing in a sense. And so I realized that with other relationships, but this part too, this part also. So, and then also the other question more generally, bridging the gap between living a lovely life in the physical and feeling a close connection to the world beyond. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. So when you stop putting any human person's connection to you and their human mind and their human character, into your stability, what you go to is your inner non-physical stability. And you can also, this is kind of a fun one, you can also connect to the inner voices of the people in your life. Let's say you have a difficult or strange relationship with a family member or partner, you name it, whoever your mind's kind of attached to and your emotional stability, whoever can get your goat. If you go to their inner voice, you can still talk to their inner voice from their inner voice to you. You can still tune in, give it a shot, see how it goes. But that's what I've been doing also. So I can still have a close connection to the people in my life in the world beyond. Actually, my grandfather just transitioned a few days ago as well. And of course, you guys know I'm very pro transition when it's time for people to, as Abraham McCall Croak, I obviously really support and welcome that experience and want that to be as smooth and beautiful for people as possible. So my grandfather obviously included. And when he passed, it was obviously no, there's no love lost because there's no love that's lost. I just started talking to him inside my head. Obviously I could have done that without, and I say that by in my head being my inner voice, but you can do that I could have done that even before he transitioned fully too. And I'd already made so much peace with that transition for him when he was ready. And, you know, in, even in inner voice, like tried to encourage him when he was ready to make that transition, knowing he obviously would, he didn't need me in any sense, physical or non-physical to en encourage that. He's a sovereign being that will make that choice for himself. But you can do that with your partners and people too. You can connect to their inner voices. So even if they're arguing with you on the surface level of life, you can still go to their unconditional inner voice alignment and connect there 
which is fantastic for people that have transitioned like my grandfather. And also obviously and always going into to you and through you, to you and through you and gaining your alignment and your energy, well-being, stability from within your own connection to your inner voice. And that alignment, not anyone else's shining their alignment on you temporarily or, or not temporarily as the case may be. Okay. Now we have Nicole Rosalind who said, what advice can you give for this feeling that you are meant for big things yet? You have no idea what those things are yet. Constantly wanting to figure it out already, but also wanting to flow and feel natural. There's a lot of impatience and it feels like time is passing by and you're still kind of floating. That's a very interesting thing. You're meant for big things. The mind can hear that from the inner voice, let's say. And it can assume a lot of things about what big things are. The mind will look into the physical reality and try to define what big things are by the scale and the size of physical objects like money, power, fame, influence, or even impact, benefit, upliftment of others. It will often look at things outside of itself to determine what is big. Instead of going into your inner voice and saying, what do you define as a big thing? And also inner voice, what is the big thing you want me to do? Like there's many more questions you could ask your inner voice around meant for big things that could give you clarity and also maybe (laughs) a bit not the way the mind would think big things are, you know? So big things could be sitting on a park bench in your piece during COVID when everybody's losing their minds and not freaking out. That's a pretty big thing for the planet to have a few humans not choosing last year in, let's say, July, freaking out the way a lot of other humans did. That's a really big thing. Does that look big to the mind, though, to sit on a park bench and to be peaceful? Not necessarily. So you have to first connect to your inner voice and say, what is the big thing if you've heard it in there? If you haven't heard the term meant for big things from the inner voice, then asking about that specific phrase wouldn't necessarily apply, but asking your inner voice, what do you want me to do right now? What do you want me to do right now? What do you want me to do right now? And having the courage to follow it, if it says bake cookies, go for a walk, take a nap, relax and play, that that also is huge for people to stop running around trying to prove their self-worth externally and actually find a sustained sense of inner peace in any way whatsoever inside themselves is a huge shift for consciousness on the planet to see modeled within each other. Like that's so rare to see, even if just someone just baking cookies and having a peaceful state of well-being inside of themselves that then reflects outside of themselves. That's actually huge. It's so different. It's so divergent from so many other people trying to run the rat race, to win the race, to prove their self-worth in the mental ways that they've been taught and trained to do. It's terrifying for the IVFT grads and then the people they often work with as they find out within themselves that their inner voices are not worried or concerned about anything, are not struggling, are not striving. They're just there to have fun and show up and trust that everything will be there. And that also big things could occur in a scalable way but that it would not be hard or efforted in a difficult, mental, stressful way. That is huge. They have huge beanbags come up around that oftentimes because it's so hard to imagine that from the conditioning of humans thus far. But it's so innately and consistently true through so many different inner voices. It's amazing. So really going into your inner voice and finding out what is big things. And when you still feel like you're floating, ask your inner voice, do you want me to float? Is that okay? Are you wanting to float right now in her voice? Yes or no? If so, why or why not? It's a beautiful thing. It's just what your mind is probably coming up against is conditioning of other humans you've heard speak about stuff like this before. 
Okay. Now we have Julia who said, any experiences or tips for boredom, checking in and hearing the inner voice daily, but not getting much inspired action and not knowing what to do with yourself. Well, I'd say cut yourself a break in terms of the not sure what to do with yourself. Like it's okay. You don't have to know what to do with yourself. When it comes to boredom, that's like a topic that I butted up against for so many years over the last five years. The biggest fear my mind had was not transitioning into non-physical. It was staying in the physical realm and being bored while I did so. Number one concern my mind had was for sure the fear of boredom. What's the worst thing about dying? Nothing. What's the worst thing about staying here and living on the planet for another 50, 60 years? boredom. That would be my mind's reply. So I really, really had to look at that, at least for my own life. And here's at least for myself. So Julia, you'll have to check in for your situation. But when it came to boredom for me, and I had nothing on my calendar, and I'm still very happy to love my calendar, the fear of boredom, what I found years ago, as I really released my grip on time and filling it up unnecessarily with extra stuff and letting it be open and spacious and free and having nothing sometimes to do that day, what I've feared was that I'd be bored. But what I found is that often, like really check in with yourself and ask how often in the last month have I actually felt and experienced the feeling of boredom? Now you can fear the feeling of boredom all the time. Like I could tell you that I had thoughts about the fear of boredom, maybe like 30 times that month in 2018 in Sydney. Okay. That's probably when this stuff was really coming up the most strongly for me. I could fear the fear of boredom all the time. But if you said, Jess, how many times did you actually feel bored that month? Maybe once, maybe, maybe once I would feel the feeling of boredom. So I actually realized was that the feeling of boredom was far less experienced than the thinking of the fear of boredom. So if I looked at a calendar with very little, maybe one or two things on it ahead of me, I would fear the feeling of boredom for that whole week. But if I went through the week, I probably wouldn't actually feel bored. What I found, Julia, was that I was often tired. And so I would go to sleep. And one of the things like I would go to bed, I took like totally stopped seeing most people, which was easy because I didn't know loads of people in Sydney at the time, but I would just stay home and go deeply into and spend a lot of time solo. And when the nighttime would come around, I would just go to sleep like when the sun went down and I'd wake up at or when or before the sun rose. So as I took myself off of clock time and put myself into now time, you could say, or play time, I would just get tired and my body adjusted to the the movements of the sun, which was interesting. It wasn't mentally chosen. It just is what happened to me. But I would go to sleep early and that probably would have been had I stayed awake without falling into tiredness and just allowing myself to sleep when I was tired. I probably could have been bored maybe from like 8 to 10 p.m. or something like that. If I chose to stay awake in those hours, maybe that's when I would have had the feeling of boredom. But because my body felt tired and I allowed myself to sleep during that period, I didn't have boredom. And then I would wake up very, very early, 4 or 5 a.m. sometimes. And for a period of time, I was like, crying as I watched the sunrise in joy and ecstasy going, who am I? This is not something Jess cares about, but my inner voice was having so much joy from the sunrise as it watched the first light hit across the horizon. So that wasn't boring getting up that early. It was amazing. I just would challenge the mind to go, have you been feeling bored often? Or are you just fearing the feeling of boredom? If you are experiencing the feeling of boredom, if you're actually feeling that all the time or something like that, it's your mind that's bored, not your awareness. Your awareness is never bored. It's always an experience and it doesn't have a perception of boredom. It's just your mind, the puzzle solver, the answer finder, 
that person, that aspect of you is what's bored. So that would be also to check in and say, what am I being outside of the mind story of boredom? What is my awareness drawn to? And maybe it's floating in the river. Maybe it's watching. For me, I had loads of time where my awareness just wanted to watch the leaves and the trees. So I would sit and watch the leaves and the trees for hours and hours and hours. It's all it wanted to do. And I just didn't fight it. So find out where your awareness is pulling your attention, even when the story of boredom is happening in the head. And also, of course, you can go back into the inner voice and you know find out, why am I feeling bored right now? What would you have me do instead? Are you bored inner voice right now? If so, yes. If not, why not? So maybe that will be helpful to get more guidance inside yourself. Okay. Lori Patterson asked, how did you come up with the process of inner voice session, connecting to your inner voice and releasing beanbags? Well, that's an interesting question. How did I come up with the process? Inner voice sessions started when I was in Sydney around this time that I was fearing boredom all the time. And I thought to myself, if I do absolutely nothing, I wasn't doing the podcast at the time at all. So I wasn't teaching any classes. I decided to do one-on-one sessions whenever I felt like it. So usually the day or two before I would kind of feel into it and I'd feel like, you know what? I think I'm going to do like two sessions today and tomorrow. That kind of very short sprints of these sessions. I'd post them on Instagram and they would be on the stories and people would have 24 hours to see the story and then sign up for the sessions and they would book them. So I started deciding what am I going to do? I can't just meditate all day, every day. Well, what I'll do is I'll get regular people into their inner voice, enlightened sense of self, and I'll talk to their inner voice, enlightened sense of self when I want to. And so that was what I did. And I just started keeping people in their inner voice for the two hour sessions that I was doing. And over time, at first, I had no idea what I was going to do specifically. I just knew I wanted to keep them in that place because I could talk to inner voice, enlightened consciousness in that way. And I thought it'd be entertaining for myself and helpful for the people I worked with. So that's where it started. But as I kept doing the sessions and holding the space, a process emerged. And that's what became the inner voice sessions. So it wasn't mentally derived or chosen other than I knew I wanted to have something I could do in my time without any classes or podcasts in the horizon and not knowing many people that would keep me entertained. And I thought that would be something fun to do. So I did them. And that was kind of how that started. In terms of releasing beanbags, that is also something that started to come up in those inner voice sessions. So as my own life, I brought that into my awareness of how to do it. My own inner voice taught me how to do the beanbag sessions. And then I started working with the people and their inner voices stuff. And when the inner voice would, I touch on certain topics, when they had those beanbag fears on a topic, they couldn't hear the inner voice. And so I'd start helping them release the beanbags themselves as we went through those processes. So that's kind of how that got roped into it also. Now we have Sarah who asked, I think I remember that after immersing yourself in Abraham sessions, you've read some of the Seth material. No, I actually have not ever read any Seth material. I know that's how Esther and Jerry got into channeling and stuff, but actually I've never listened or know anything about Seth other than Abraham and the the Hicks got into Seth before. But the continued question, I've done the same and I've read a lot of the Seth material now, and it's been so illuminating. What came after Seth for you? I never read Seth. So there we go. That's the answer to that one. Lucy A says, hi, Jess, looking forward to listening. I would love to know what your inner voice or Joe or your guide say about climate change and the collapse. Have a lovely evening and thank you for everything currently listening to and flowing and loving flowing up. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I've seen a lot of flowing up sales continue to come in. So if you're enjoying that five-year summation of everything that I experienced personally in the last five years, that's awesome. In terms of climate change and collapse, I've never 
asked, but all is well, always, and in all directions, and in all paths, and all propensities to accept what is, is what I just heard as I just kind of tuned in. But (laughs) I haven't personally thought to ask. It's not personally, it's something I'm aware of, but it's not something that my mind has a personal concern about. So I haven't asked, but I would say that you could ask if you have any personal concerns about climate change, go into your own inner voice and go into what it says for you. That's definitely the place to begin because it's going to have exactly the information and perspective that's going to resonate most truly and most succinctly with the truth within yourself. Now Jackie asks, hi Jess, how's your summer? I'm going to be 40 in a month and I've realized over 2020 how much comparison has lived in my mind on a daily basis. I'm unpacking it slowly. Can you recommend how to take next action steps in my life for abundance? Okay, so, well, I guess there's kind of two things there. There's one about comparison and how much it's lived in the mind and then also abundance. So I'm guessing they might be connected and correlated, but there's not like a clear definition of how it's connected for Jackie. So both of those would be conditioning and beanbags. So you'd have external conditioning that's helped you cultivate this mind ability to compare based on other people. As I think it was Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire. You're not the first person to ever compare in any way that you're comparing right now. Your mind's not that unique. It thinks it's being unique, maybe, but really it's just learned and picked up a behavior that other humans were already doing. So it's kind of more of a monkey see, monkey do in the mind than a personal thing. Now that's amazing, right? Let's just give ourselves credit for that. Like you didn't start it. It's not only you, it's definitely not going to end with you right now, anytime soon in terms of like, there'll be other people that are later born and do the comparison game too. So it's not personal. It's not unique to you. Yes, it's happening within you, but it's not a problem in the sense that it's not only you and it's not because of you. It's just something that's happening through you right now, but doesn't have to stay there. It's kind of like COVID. Like you didn't invent COVID. You're not the first person to get COVID. You're not the last person to get COVID. It's just in your system right now while it's in your system. But that doesn't have to be a problem as the mind would see it. It just needs to go through the experience of releasing the experience. It's about getting that immunity to that type of program, in this case, comparison, and no longer perpetuating it in your body's antibodies and all that kind of stuff. You're just going to start decoupling your awareness to that pattern as you bring awareness to it, but without judgment and shame. So one of the things that happens when you have an awareness to the mind doing something you don't want it to do anymore is you want to judge or feel bad about it doing it. So when the mind notices its comparison, notice if it's actually feeling bad that it's comparison or feels guilty that it's comparing or whatever, whatever, whenever it adds that, that's, I think the Buddhists call it the second arrow. It's the extra mind on top of itself. It's not giving you space to decouple from it. It's giving you more attachment to comparison by judging or shaming it. So watching it going, oh my gosh, this isn't even my comparison. This is something that my mom used to do and I'm just doing it because I saw my mom do it or my family or X, Y, Z. This is not even, and it's not their fault. They saw their grandmother do it and they saw their, you know, who the heck knows. If we go too many generations past, we have no idea who the person we now know that had it, that gave it, you know, quote unquote, not gave it, but like was a part of our own accumulation of that. We don't even think like, where did they get that? They didn't invent that either. So this is just a, it's almost as Eckhart would say, or no, Abraham's called it like a bit of a chain of pain. And it just needs to break with the link that is aware enough to break it inside themselves. It can't 
be done any other way. So once you recognize, okay, this isn't even, it's in me right now, but it's not even personal. It's not even mine in that sense. You take responsibility for the fact that it's in your awareness right now, but not that it's any like idea of creationism to it. You're like, okay, I've inherited this. This is fine. I'd rather not have this anymore rather than judging or feeling this extra weight on yourself that it's bad that you have it or blah, blah, blah. Without that, you say, I'd rather not have this anymore. (laughs) I can see why I have it, but I'd rather not have it anymore. It's so much more powerful and empowering and lighter in your emotional space than, and it's bad and I can't get out of it, or I shouldn't have it. All of that stuff is just going to be a lot heavier on yourself. And if it's connected to abundance, it's just going to be an extra hurdle for abundance. Like let's say you have comparison around abundance and you got that because you saw it modeled by your aunt or your mother or something like that. Just seeing like, this isn't unique to me. It's something I've inherited in the sense that I've picked it up along the way. The mind just picked up that program, just like it downloaded that app because someone told it to, it just did. And so now it's about seeing that and then releasing the beanbags associated with it that are inside of you. So as you notice that comparison, being able to beanbag it could be really fascinating. So when you notice that happening, doing the beanbag process, like I said, it'll be much more effective if you work with someone on it and then start releasing those as they come up will be really helpful to stop feeling the old programming and then imagining positive potentials for the future. So it's going to be harder if comparison is attached to abundance to just seek and focus solely on the positive experience of abundance if comparison and abundance is still weighing you down. So letting go of those older rocks will be useful, but only when they come up. You're not trying to seek out what could possibly be in the back of your truck. You wait till those rocks in the back of your truck make themselves known as you catch them and see them and then release them. And then as you keep doing that, it'll just become easier and easier to focus on the abundance going forward. But doing it if comparison is attached to abundance without releasing that, it's going to be kind of like Abraham would say, having trains going in two different directions. It's going to be pulling you in two different places. All right. Now for our last question, Zerlin is asking, hi, Jess, do you believe in karma? As in, do you believe that at the cosmic level, things even out and become fair? If so, could you expand on this? If not, what's your perspective on how we can deal with perceived injustices in the world? Okay. So I'm obviously not an expert in karma, so I don't want to put myself on any type of pedestal whatsoever to say that I have the end-all be-all answer on this. This is many different points of consciousness, have many different points of view. I can tell you that the inner voice, consistent point of view from all inner voices I've ever worked with, thousands of people at this point around the world, they're not worried about perceived injustices in the world ultimately, because ultimately there is a connection and a peace and a cohesion and unity through all things that exist that is as one of the most common phrases that you'll hear an inner voice say, or channels even as well. You're going to hear the phrase if you get into IVFT, for example, all is well. There is this pervasive feeling or experience sentiment from channeled entities that are enlightened or above, inner voices that are truly inner voices, all is well. So that does not mean on this level of the physical plane that all is well in terms of injustice. That doesn't mean that that doesn't, it's not the way the mind would perceive things, but ultimately the resolution towards all of that would be from within each individual one at a time. Cause it can only be 
resolved in the individuals that perceive it to be unresolved. So only perceivers that perceive injustice are the ones that have within themselves the shift of perception to see it being resolved. It can't be done externally by someone else for someone else. You know, the people that perceive injustice are the ones that are then shifting their perspective. And that this is like, obviously, if everybody perceives injustice, then everyone has to shift their perspective. It's not saying that this is right or wrong. And that doesn't mean that people that are saying there's nothing wrong in the world from a lower state of consciousness are in fact seeing the whole picture. But at the same time, the inner voice is the place to go for yourself in terms of how to expand upon this in a way that makes sense for you. I don't think there's anything I can say that a mind that has a big story around something would be satisfied with, but the inner voice within that person, if it's capable of being heard, will be able to unwind and untangle the misperceptions the mind's having to how it could possibly be possible that's all as well. And at the same time, in this specific moment in time or past specific moments in time or future specific moments in time, there could also be injustices in the world at the same time. It's a very tricky, delicate subject because the minds and beanbags and so much goes around that. So I don't want to get you know too specific because it could just touch a beanbag for people that their minds would then shut down instead of stay open and ultimately go inside themselves. Because what the world needs more of is more inner voice connection in themselves, not in other people that they perceive to be wiser to know more. So the fact that your mind is stuck, not even yours specifically, but someone else's mind could be stuck. But if they can go into their own inner voice and they have the courage and capacity to do so, the wisdom they'll find, even if the mind's stuck in a specific topic, is so incredible that it doesn't have to be a mystery forever and that your mind may not be able to perceive something, yet you could still hear the truth within yourself. It's amazing. And I'm sure that those who have done inner voice work in the past have heard answers from their inner voice on different topics that their mind might not have fully grasped the wisdom or the clarity of at the time that they heard it. But looking back later, 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 you really see, oh my goodness, it told me that way back then, but I couldn't really get it then. My mind, for these people and myself too, in the past, I couldn't really get it. It heard it, but it didn't really grasp it yet. It wasn't yet in the alignment to the essence of what it heard. That's the beauty of this inner voice. It's like when I do those sessions with clients over the, you know, that first year of doing them before IVFT, I would do these two hours with people, get them out of their head, get them to listen and share what they were hearing inside themselves. And I give them the recording. And I knew that, you know, 50% of that tape, when they would listen back, their mind would not be in at least maybe probably 50% agreement to what they heard, but they heard it in themselves. They didn't hear in Eckhart Tolle. They didn't hear it in Byron Katie. They didn't hear it in Jess Lively or Gabby Bernstein. They heard it inside of themselves. And even if their mind still doesn't believe it's fully true, at least they heard it from the most authentic source they could possibly ever imagine for themselves and their own ability. My job was just to truly help them stay into their inner voice and get the most clear and authentic information within themselves. And that's what they got. And that is just the most powerful thing in the world. I think that the more people know how to tune in beyond their level of mental perception inside of themselves, the more wisdom and the leaps in awareness we can have as a culture will be so, so much greater because we're not going to be pointing fingers at leaders and thought leaders and enlightened people as the way forward. We're going to be looking and pointing the fingers inside of the heart and the chest and the gut and saying, here's where to go. 
here's where to go. Here's where to go for you. You don't have to be sucked into mass consciousness. You don't have to watch news report after news report. You don't have to pay attention to social media and what other people are sharing. Just go inside yourself. That's where the answers you're truly seeking are. The more wisdom that humanity has to do so, the more peace comes along with it. Oh, that was so good. Okay, guys, thank you so much for all of your questions. I loved answering them. And until next time, may something wonderful happen to you today.